Welcome to episode 20 of the Kevin Doherty podcast. My guest today is Jackie Campion. I met Jackie in 2017 when both of us began studying personal and business coaching. I would describe Jackie as naturally open-minded, very curious and uniquely herself. We chatted about loads of good stuff, including moving back home, becoming an adult, drumming, mental health, connection, eating distress, and recovery. If you enjoy this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you helped spread the word by recommending it to a friend or sharing it on your Instagram stories and tagging me at the Kevin Doherty podcast. Thanks for listening. How's it going, Jackie? Going very well, Kevin. Thank you. Um, today was a big day for you. It was your first time using an inversion table. <laughs> How did that go? It, it's one of the most uh, diversified Saturdays I've had so far. Yeah, no, was, I've never heard of an inversion table before. So uh, When you walked in, you thought I had some <laughs> sort of a weird, obscure sex swing in the corner. I'm known to judge Kevin, so... <laughs> My, I felt like I learned a lot about myself, the fact that I was just so um, unmoved by it. But um, yeah, no, whatever you use it for, it definitely was, it was good crack. I use it as a bit of a litmus test when people come in. If they're, if they're brave enough to get on, that's somebody I want to hang out with. Um, well, I'm, yeah, so I, I definitely, at first I was like, oh, I'm not going to do that. But um, no, I'm learning a lot about myself already today. <laughs> the idea behind uh, an inversion table for anyone listening is... Every day you're walking around and gravity is essentially like pushing you down. Like apparently you're a little bit taller in the morning than you are when you go to sleep. And that has to do with gravitational forces. The idea with an inversion table is you clip in your ankles. It's nearly like an old 19th century carnival ride. So you lock in your ankles and then you flip back. And the idea is that your spine is decompressed by hanging from your ankles i don't know if there's that much scientific like information and like research double blind placebo tests with this sort of a subject but i like it and it gives me a head rush well that's why i do it i think it was good crack and i think you should upload a video to, for your followers to see <laughs> on the instagram because yeah the whole locking of the ankle could put you off at first but uh yeah no i mean you always i definitely felt like it helped but good crack. And uh, we haven't seen each other in what, like a year, which is crazy. Um, we met three years ago when yeah. we both started on the personal and business coaching course with the, the ILI, the Irish Life Coach Institute. Um, how did you find that experience? That experience was just incredible. Um, I remember the first day going into it and uh adrian talking about how you're gonna you're gonna be transformed by the end of it and my first thought was oh, i've already been through one of those so <laughs> i was so arrogant for want of a more gentle word but like ignorant to how much um there was to explore within myself and it definitely just gave me it gave me so much. The experience was great. I mean, obviously meeting yourself, Kevin, it was gift. <laughs> but um, 
Yeah. And 36 months later, you get to hang upside down. Yeah. <laughs> See? I knew this was this friendship was going to go well. Yeah, I, I just... it's I still learn from that experience. It's It was fascinating for me, yeah. It was a really, like, interesting time to do it and a really interesting space for learning because everybody's nearly there for different reasons but everybody pulls together in terms of this group environment mm. and it really reinforced to me like the importance of having a community and learning together and nearly that idea of like building a tribe because it was a place where you could say things and be vulnerable and know that there was maybe less judgment than other spaces, if that makes sense. Really fascinating thing to do. And like, it just, it helped me so much with listening, like really listening to people and listening to yourself as well, which mm. is huge. Yeah, definitely. Like the, as soon as you were talking there, the word tribe comes up for me. And that is just something that continues just to give me life and energy and yeah that just kind of collective space where you're just reconnecting with yourself as a result like I mean connecting with others is ultimately just connecting with yourself Um, I definitely hit the vulnerability mark I hit the ground running with that I think I started crying from the first day of the course so I was like sure look I've paid my money now I'll get I'll get what I can but listening yeah like and how much you think you can listen and how much you think you know about yourself and just not being afraid to go into the the shadows, your own shadows, kind of really like that and kind of still to this day would continue to, to do that. Just really fascinated by those kind of, you know, shadow work and things like that, what people can talk about, but you know, that light and dark side and not to be afraid of it, but yeah, listening to people, massive so simple but yeah you uh mentioned the word tribe as well like there's a book that i'm absolutely fascinated by by a guy called uh, sebastian younger and he looks at how modern society while it gives us so many things um we nearly become disconnected from the human experience because like if you look at western society nearly the idea is get the job get the house separate yourself from your neighbors don't know them constantly go up this hierarchy whereas from an evolutionary perspective we're supposed to deeply know people in small groups and mm. care about their survival and they're supposed to care about us mm. and that seems to be missing especially in this time of a pandemic where you can't meet people mm. like that disconnect is massive at the moment and like people are always talking about like the idea of mental health, it seems to be, especially this year, I've noticed it more than other years, the, the term mental health is being brought up uh, a significant amount. But I wonder how much is actually being done to improve mental health. Like sometimes I feel like it's like, oh, and look after mental health. I'll see you later. How do I do that? No, no, no. See you later. Mental health. Bye, bye, bye. What do you think? Yeah. Like when you're talking there, the word superficial awareness kind of comes up for me. Um, so much talk, but not always so much like effective talk. So like 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 buzzwords and mental health and a lot of just I mean exactly like we're not always always given the tools of even how to actually acknowledge that. And I suppose the intellect doesn't always like the most effective tools. Like what about knocking into your neighbor? I'm not knocking into my neighbor. If anyone rings my doorbell, I go up to the top bedroom. I'm like who's that? 
he was knocking on the door in an <laughs> afternoon. That's something, to, you know, and, and it's even becoming aware of that. Like, I literally had a thought today um, of, I was like, um, some a neighbour of mine um, is an author and I'm reading their book at the moment and it's just fantastic. And I had this thought of like, I must see if they're on Instagram. And I was like, Jesus Christ, how depressing is that as a thought to come into my mind that I want, I'm more inclined to find them on Instagram so I can know more about them. Because obviously through reading their book, Patrick Frame um, is his name and it's just one of the most it's one of the best books I've I've read in a long time um, and I was there maybe I'll see if he's on Instagram I was like that's so creepy and wrong and voyeuristic isn't it like I was saying this to my sister the other day as well like this the term dystopian is it's not dystopian anymore like I was listening to an ad about no, now you can order your Costa coffee via the app. So don't worry, we're meeting your needs. I was like, you're absolutely not meeting my needs by giving me an app for my coffee. Like I need that person in the <laughs> coffee shop. Like, you know, I need that human connection. And I suppose, like you said, even the last few months, like we, like the community, even on our road, like in, in Marino, um, you know, they'd start, they started organizing, um, you know, bingo on the road and people coming and sharing kind of just sharing art like spoken word comedy comedy music like just sitting at at that I felt like bursting into tears of joy I was like tribe community connection you know like almost that fear to be vulnerable of like I couldn't knock into my neighbor and see hi how, how are you getting on and actually give someone the space to answer. You know, when you're like, hi, how are you? Oh, yeah, I'm like, yeah, see you. But like you said, mental health, bye. You know, um, yeah, the tribe, definitely. Um, these kind of little what's seen are like potential obstacles coming in at the moment for the last few months have definitely been a wonderful opportunity for me to just pair it back and just start. Like I've had more, I've moved back home um, over the last few months and um living in my parents house and going back to my old kind of you know childhood home and just having conversations with the neighbors it's just like I went out to do the shopping there and and, and it was a while ago and I was an hour talking to a neighbor and it was just beautiful it was everything that I needed at that time and I think just so much value in this simplicity Mm. and I always remember you saying it to me about um last year when we when we'd met up and we were obviously the usual we must meet up over Christmas <laughs> and I remember you saying we probably won't because people just love their habits and their routines and no I'm paraphrasing I'm definitely paraphrasing but there was a real <laughs> sense of just calling it out of human behavior being like now let's really try and make this happen course Kevin I'm at, I was like high as a kite after we met up and we had a great night and it was brilliant and we'd connected and just oh it was ju- it, it just really filled me up um and here we are a month over a year later and you're thinking oh like and obviously when you had messaged me and like just even asked me to come up and have a chat and I was like you're actively going I, I don't know I was just like that's what we need to do more of like mm-hmm. really bringing awareness to like just bringing awareness that routine and you know you have your two days and see who you normally see and do what you normally do and it's like 
fuck that like you know what else could I do here you know and just the the importance of it, I suppose so I was just kind of I tried to bring from so you might have been aware that even when you said that but I tried to bring awareness to especially over the last few months these little routines I slot into and how much they nurture me honestly so yeah so thanks for that no worries I'm glad to have you up here yeah no it was... it's interesting what you said as well like um just talking to neighbors after maybe a period of not seeing them yeah and it's really interesting like whenever I go home to Limerick mm-hmm. there are people that I'd see in the neighborhood that I wouldn't speak to but you have these nearly ideas or stories of who they are based on an interaction you had with them or a story you heard about them Mm. nearly a decade ago Mm. and there are all these nearly unintentional judgments that you'll make about them because you know one or two things from their past and you see them as nearly a defined person this is who they are they're in this nice little box they're nice they're a prick they're a fucking alcoholic they're all these little things just based on a decade ago whereas you want everybody to see you as this constantly evolving person and look at all the things I've done and, oh, I've, I've been to Spain. What the fuck? It's very weird the way we want everybody to nearly see us as this new new thing every single day. But we look at everybody else as like, you are what you were that last time I talked to you. Yeah. It's bizarre. I'm just laughing because anybody that's met me <laughs> 10 years ago or 15 years ago, I'm like, please, please. <laughs> I've ch- I feel like we should all go or we could all go around or sometimes I want to go around myself with a, a little sticky post on my head saying, I've changed. <laughs> you know, it's the good news. Like I've, I've changed. And, and yeah, like ex- even, even that mentality, you know, like whether like on the road, you know, that one's that one or well, even mm. that's the one you know it just I suppose even just being aware of those kind of um just little mindsets that we can slot into like as I said even reading the book of my neighbor I was like this is just, what's it called um okay let's try your stupid idea by Patrick Frayne and it's just the the vulnerability the wit the humor the style of writing I was like it actually, I was, I've laughing and crying now, when, as you know yourself, Kevin, it doesn't take me much to, to get, to have a little tear, but it's just to think that I'm kind of, there's walls only separating us and it takes to kind of publish a book. And I'm like, just, I don't know that, that sense of like, we are, and he speaks very much so about that in the book. Um, We all have a story to tell. He talks about even the idea of being an, a, a journalist and, you know, speaking to strangers on the street and how so many of us think it's not interesting. You know, like like there this oh yeah, well there was that time that, you know, that happened or I was, you know you know, it we don't really value the story. You know, no and obviously there's a balance. I mean obviously some people that's something definitely I think is happening at the moment that it's like I have a story to tell. You know, so I think I am conscious of that as well. But um I kind of I'm kind of blabbing and on but just kind of it just really highlighted like Jesus I'm living on this road I said I'm saying I'm growing up in Marino I'm I'm living here 30 years it's all my life I'm like you know where could I be making a little bit more effort to just kind of connect to the community more and it can be done in such a simple way like this and I suppose even just walk like just even make an eye contact like that's something for me like I used to find it very challenging to make eye contact with people so I used to start practicing um 
I made a conscious effort. It sounds a bit weird being like, look, people in the eye. Okay, lift your, lift your head. I used to walk a lot with my head down. So I'd lift my head up and just even make an eye contact with people. I think now more than ever, like when you're walking, I think even peers sometimes, like I find it easier sometimes to say hello to like little babies or older people. But when you're walking beside someone else who's 30, you're like, hi, how's it going? And I'm like, now I just feel like, fuck it. I'm going to try that. <laughs> Do you know? That's um, nice. That's nice. It's, I'm, you might think that but not everybody you know and that's you know some people do like and I it, I think it's even kind of gone you know that's a bit weird well, I don't care that's literally a lifeline for me today you it's know? interesting as well that you said eye contact because in 2019 you could smile at people but now with most people wearing masks yeah. even outside mm. it's all you have is eye contact yeah and it's really weird that this situation has nearly taken away things that are the human experience mm. like we need to be close to each other. We yeah. need physical touch to survive and you need a community around you. But to protect ourselves from this strange disease, you have to separate, you have to cover your face so that there's no facial cues, which is a weird thing for humans and especially for like young kids growing up to not see facial cues of adults. It must be very confusing. Yeah. Um, can I ask, what's it been like for you moving back home? <laughs> so how long did you live away and... Have you kind of slipped into that child state or what's it like? I'm not going to recommend my mom and dad to listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm half joking. How have I found it? Um, what do they say? If you want to find out how spiritually awoken you are, live with your uh, family for a week. Mm. So I'm there now since June. <laughs> so, um, you know, Brene Brown would refer to breakdowns of spiritual awakenings. And I've had a good few spiritual awakenings in the last few months um what when did i move back so i was living out of home with my i don't know what do you call him partner fiance fiance congratulations my craig <laughs> <laughs> so, so the person i've decided to share life experiences with um thank you for the congratulations what an achievement <laughs> it's weird right? well it's done like, me yeah it's like it, you don't know what to say it's like uh, even I was thinking it when you were coming up I was like uh, oh yeah Jackie's engaged no I was like do I just say I know you're engaged do I because that's like well, that's a creepy thing to say to anybody like uh, do I say congratulations because then I'm like what did she do like Craig put in all the effort like you accept it she's like well done for accepting I don't know it's the same it's the same with like uh, nearly happy birthday do you know when people are like celebrating your birthday or like all I do is just didn't become deceased yeah they're just like i didn't do much there wasn't a huge achievement here like. that's sometimes i think that's a massive achievement but yeah the engagement part is definitely um you know well done you know you've mm. you've you've ticked just, the box just people say it yeah it? no it's interesting i saw a kind of little uh, meme quote thing going around um yesterday and it was kind of like if only we approached the same kind of you know self-development career kind of or yeah, more just so even self-development, like even like that. Well done, you're still here. Keeping going. Lovely. You're part of the time you're actually enjoying yourself. Jesus, how that's mm. that's impressive. But um yeah, no, I'm engaged, so massive achievement there. <laughs> <laughs> but um moving home, yeah. So I I had moved home so we, I moved out and paid extortionate rent for about two years. So internally that was definitely an investment i mean obviously i wasn't delighted with the rent situation but that's a different episode um so i was out of the house for two and a half years which was massive for me because 
I would have very much so, um, you know, if my parents said, like, growing up, if my parents, I used to remember thinking, my parents are just the smartest people in the world. They just know everything, right? I literally was just so in awe of them. Now, with all due respect to my parents, I'm not saying that they are. I'm just saying there was a real hierarchy in terms of, like, wanting to just, I don't know, just definitely a line of wanting to get approval off them and, you know, just, yeah, wanted them, not that it wasn't there, but just that kind of craving of it. So there definitely was that dynamic where if they said jump, I'd say how high and I wouldn't be very much so open to questioning it all the time. Um, just for, I suppose, I just had that belief system where I was just like, yeah, that's just how things are. And would you have dramatically nearly valued their opinions ah. on certain things? So if you if you thought, oh, maybe I want to pursue this and they were a little bit negative towards it, then that would massively influence your decision. Being honest, at where I was at the time in terms of like awareness or even my own self-esteem would have been quite low at the time. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not going to lie, still like a little text off mommy saying, well done. I'm like... Ah. <laughs> So I'm like, I'm honoring that part of the inner child. I was like, I'm not going to analyze that. Thanks, ma'am. Yeah. <laughs> love it. Like, shamelessly love it. Um, but also watching my attachment to it, for sure. So moving back home, yeah, coming into the whole role of going, slotting back into that almost child, trying to find the dynamic. Because obviously it's so unnatural. Like, at 30 years of age, it's not within our kind of, you know, evolution that we're we're going back to where we, you know, it's just, it's not natural. So you're going against your natural development. So yeah, definitely found it um, comforting, reassuring, um, severely challenging, noticing, you know, different relationship dynamics, how I've evolved, how I sometimes think what they should be doing differently as well, you know, even coming back into the home. Like, this just makes no sense that this is over here. Like, why isn't this done? And I'm like, oh, my God. So, yeah, it's been it's been a challenge. But I am also very, very grateful to I'm very grateful for the box room. I really genuinely am. Like, I I think it's really highlighting for me that it doesn't matter where or what the space is, but just to have gratitude to have a space I mean so many of us don't have that and I suppose even the issues of you know obviously like homelessness and and, and everything like that like I'll be honest there's times where I'm like oh I can't swing a cat in here like you know I can't I'm oh I feel claustrophobic and you know yes there are days where sometimes I find challenging and I'm separated from Craig which really hurt my heart for like a really long time and now it's kind of more in that maintenance mode with that because that's just you know painful at times but I think just to have that space that level of appreciation and gratitude because this wasn't part of my parents plan either Mm. you know and I think that's one thing took me a while to be kind of conscious of that it's not always like I'd say you're delighted now I'm back here yeah. You know, just so, yeah. It's, it's nearly like everybody looks at their own life as they're the main character in a movie. And for some reason, you just like 2020, everybody's like, wait, no, I didn't agree to this change in the plot. Like, yeah. I didn't see this coming. Whereas like you moving home, your parents have like their lives have been dramatically affected. impacted. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and it's not always for, you know, the most fabulous reasons, I'm <laughs> sure. Do you know, like. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point that we often think we're the main character. And I think now more than ever, it's so important to recognize and acknowledge 
all of the challenges that we're all experiencing, you know, on all scales of it, you know, like, oh, well, at least at your this age, you had a house, you know, you were mm. able to buy a house. And, you know, it's kind of like, let's kind of come peel back from that and kind of go underneath, even kind of look a little bit more at that frustration. And obviously, you know, we're in challenging situations and, you know, trying to get a home and things like that. But um, yeah, just finding that balance, like, I don't know if I should take it personally, but um, my dad had a couple of uh, health challenges. He, he was in hospital over over the the early part of um of the lockdown, and that was uh that was quite a challenging time. So they actually got a one way ticket out of Ireland, and they're due to come back next week. So it's even, it's oh. really interesting that now, I don't know <laughs> I don't know if they left the country because I'd come home, but we're not going <laughs> to analyze that. Um. But it's interesting my how much just having them even in the same vicinity, I feel like I really lost a sense of in the midst of everything, I lost a sense of like security and safety. Mm. Even though I had a home, I felt like it really showed me that like the home and the house are two very different things. And, you know, where and that's why I suppose kind of talking about that sense of space where I'm seeing like no matter there's always something you can do to try and make that space more like your home for the mm. soul a little bit and things like that. I'm blabbling on a little bit there, but hopefully it makes sense what I'm saying. If it doesn't, apologies. No, it makes complete sense. Practice like, your active I, I think a lot of people live in houses, live in apartments, yeah. but they haven't created a home or yeah. it doesn't feel like a home. Yeah. Like home, home is nearly a feeling yeah. rather than an actual physical space. Yeah. And like what's so weird about this year, like... In terms of like things that are really important to Irish culture, like mm. homecoming at Christmas is a huge one for a country mm. where largely younger people emigrate. And while Neffet has just um, restated their position that we should be locked down for a period of time, mm. a lot of people are already looking towards Christmas going as long as we can have a normal Christmas. People are nearly still, even though this year has been so fucking weird so far. <laughs> And we haven't even got to the U.S. presidential <laughs> elections yet. <laughs> We're going to cover that. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're like, this is such a bizarre year, yeah. but people are nearly still focusing on something that they think is in their control, like the Irish Christmas. But nobody knows what it's going to be like. And like for me, like I've I've been living in Dublin the last mm. whatever, six or seven years. Like one of the weirdest things about this year is not being able to go home to Limerick, not being able to go home and see the parents on a regular basis. And even sometimes when I want to go home, the fact that they're nearly afraid yeah. because when you see the news and when you see the figures in Dublin, it's like, maybe it isn't the best thing to go home. Like that's, it's fucked up. Like, but hopefully it'll all pass soon. Yeah. No, th- I mean, and that's like, even when I often think about that, like I go into college, I've never had any of those. Exp- I don't know if I'd be still here if I had to move county to when I was going to college. I don't know if I would have survived, <laughs> being honest. Um, yeah, but I off and that's even coming back to that idea of like as challenged as it is, whatever situation you're, you're in, like even like you said, even that going home that there's such a sense of like, please give us Christmas. You know, you're mm. like you're grappling at some sort of familiar tradition you know even i was listening to the radio coming in and it's like so many people are going back to watching programs that were they watched 10 15 Nostalgia. years ago we're just looking for the familiar like please god just send me That's a sign so, true. so it's really like fascinating with that where you're like the the familiar 
that that sense of just like the word control and I suppose for me I always kind of get a little bit like with the, when I hear the word control it straight away from me points me in the direction of deficiency of trust mm. and like yeah go into that familiar and what what it, I suppose it's an opportunity I find myself like what am I looking for here and definitely even as I said before over the last few months like definitely noticed a huge knock to my self-esteem and found myself playing really small for a while because I felt so like felt overwhelmed and felt like there shit I've not what is where is my sense of security mm. you know it's a wonderful as uncomfortable as it is I think it's a wonderful opportunity to start asking those kind of questions to ourselves, you know, that like, I don't want to be kind of bleak about it, but getting that Christmas, I don't know, is going to save us, mm. you know, but is it's even kind of looking at what is it that it's providing with us with that gives us that sense of security. And is there somewhere else we could even find that? I think as well, it's, I think why people are focused on Christmas at the moment is because day to day life is so strange, but it's that trick of the mind where you think, oh, when I get to Christmas, I'll be happy and things will be a bit more normal and I'll be content. But it's like desiring a good Christmas is basically making a promise with yourself to be unhappy until that thing occurs. And once that thing occurs, like how long does Christmas last? A couple of days. So you're going to be satisfied then and then dramatically unsatisfied when we jump into 2021. Yeah. Um, like you mentioned there that there's been like maybe self-esteem issues with yourself. Do you think maybe any like the fact that you've moved back home? Mm. Is there any. Would this make sense in any way where because you've maybe slipped into more of a child state, mm. you're thinking from a perspective of when you were like a teenager. Is, yeah. Has that ever occurred to you or is that just absolute horseshit? No. <laughs> I don't know. That's, fucking... <laughs> That's actually horseshit, Kevin. So I refuse <laughs> to answer the question. No, I def again, like whatever's been coming up for me, I'm getting really curious about it. And I went back into, so with the coach, and so I've kind of decided to, I'm working towards the accreditation at the minute, which has provided me with the experience of going into a group scenario where, now it's on Zoom at the moment, but going into, um, it's like a group mentoring um, with the fabulous Liz Barron. And there's about, I think there's, I don't know how many, but, I'm putting it, I feel like I'm in a classroom situation again. And it's freaking me the fuck out. Like, uh, it's freaking me the feck out. Like, I, so just, so it's fascinating that through, now, I don't know if it's, I don't kind of know what's correlation and what's causation, but it's definitely fascinating watching how I relate to my home relate to the people in my home I'm living with my sister as well at the moment so uh-huh. that's provided a lot of spiritual awakening for the both of us do you know yeah. because we're you know we're in kind of similar situations there but going back into a group scenario typically classroom education kind of scenario so many familiar feelings for me of discomfort playing small fear judgment i got this really really cool experience and i can say that now when i'm f- past the vulnerability hangover mm. but i was like 
it was fascinating. It really pointed me in the direction of those shadows, I suppose, and areas of like, I couldn't believe the intensity of it. Um, to, to feel so not good enough ultimately in this in the situation I was very aware of while it was happening so I suppose I, I'm not really maybe answering your question but again it kind of comes back to that idea of like yeah stepping into those childlike roles and reminding myself there's been so many times I've had to remind myself you're 30 you're an adult like I don't always feel like I very rarely feel the most adult I feel is when I'm doing my shopping the groceries I think I, I, I think it's pure liberation when I'm like I can put anything in here <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah I can do that so I can do what I want there'll be consequences but I can do and uh, <laughs> I suppose so like I don't know do you, Jesus do you ever feel like an adult is that a bit of an illusion if you feel like an adult I don't know even how that maybe you do you feel like an adult Kevin uh most of the time no yeah i i think most people are pretending i i think when you get to a certain age you realize that most most people are just pretending to be an adult they're pretending oh when i put on a suit i'm yeah. a man and this is what men do and <laughs> or like uh i don't know it's weird because like in in most cultures throughout history um there's been nearly rites of passage where once you do this thing then you're more of a an adult or you're more of a man like for some reason men in particular would have had kind of rites of passages where mm. they nearly kill the boy and the man emerges from it like i suppose for for women like when they reach a certain age they nearly have to mm. hold more responsibility because they can have kids so mm. like they're like women are going to be maybe a little bit more mature naturally than men but like in our culture there's no point for men anyway where you go through some sort of a, a challenge and you can either emerge out the other edge because like if you think about it when you become 18 technically you're an adult but again as we were saying you don't do anything to achieve 18 besides survive mm. um for me i suppose if i'm thinking back to around that age like one thing that i did do when i was younger i didn't really see it at the time as like a rite of passage but um I joined like the FCA and we did like a boot camp and maybe I was like 17 at the time and we went away to Bear Island for two weeks of training and that was a maybe an, an unusual experience where certain people who did it just couldn't hack it and they went home so maybe that was one rite of passage but I didn't come out of it and think well now I'm a man there's I suppose like for me leaving home leaving home to to live in Spain or to to live in america for a while they were periods of time where you're like okay now i don't have the parents to fall back on if anything goes wrong it's like you have to have more maybe personal responsibility and awareness of what the dangers are around you so mm -hmm. while i never necessarily feel like an adult they're like i can recognize that i most of the time maybe i make adult choices except for the inversion table recording myself having fucking conversations like Richard Nixon I don't know it's it's weird it's it's give and take like it's it's even the terminology in terms of like you know being an adult and and just being aware of the social conditioning of like like again it's that superficial awareness there's a lot of talk now where you're like you know you don't have to have kids if you don't want to anymore. It doesn't matter if you marry or you don't marry. It doesn't matter if you don't have the nine to five. And we say this shit, but like, are we practicing it? Mm. And that's where like definitely 
you know, even that sense of, like you said, adult choices. What's the definition of it? And is it even working for us? There was something there that you had mentioned and it kind of, oh, I've lost, I've, I've forgotten it here now, but you were saying something there and it kind of, it struck a chord at me in terms of what were you, oh, I can't remember. Sorry. <laughs> you said something there. What were we talking you about? You were talking about, um, the rights of passion and talking about men like uh-huh. I definitely again let's talk about men let's look at the men are you talking about your mental health we still have so far to go with that you know we're still like Jesus did you hear Freddie Flintoff talking about his bulimia that's amazing mm. when are we going to get to a place being like that was yeah Freddie Flintoff was talking about his bulimia thought they were really good points that he made here and there that it's not like you know, yeah, it's it's not this huge thing anymore. Like it, for some, for, when you look at like mental health, it'd be fantastic if we got to a point where you could discuss a mental health ailment or illness or issue the same way you talk about a broken arm or a broken ankle. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, I I I fractured my arm there, and it's gonna be like six weeks till it's till it's back to normal. Like if you were able to say it to friends, uh, like I had a a panic attack last weekend. Yeah. I'm going into CBT therapy and I'm I'm just trying to be a little bit more aware of the situations that make me feel panic. Yeah. But it does, I don't know, like, again, like we talked a little bit about at the start. I think it's great that the term mental health is being bandied about, but I do think it would be much more helpful to people if somebody or like, I suppose there's no there's there's plenty of ways to to do anything. Yeah. Like with physical health, we know that you can achieve better health or improve your health in a multitude of ways, whether it's sleep, diet, yeah. exercise, or a multitude of those things, like a combination that works for you. Yeah. It'd be really, really beneficial, I think, like for me as well, for somebody to nearly to spell out these are the things that could potentially work for you. Not all of them will. And these are the things that you have to try to avoid. Like they're just, they're things that aren't good for your mental health. That'd be a great place to get to. And like, I'm probably somebody that kind of experiments with different things and see what works for me and anything that doesn't, Mm -hmm. I go, okay, that's, that's bullshit. Or at least it doesn't work for me. Um, like for me, the things that help me with my mental health, um, this month actually especially like <clears throat> I've uh, started to learn how to meditate mm. and like when I say learn how to meditate I would have thought that I was practicing meditation for maybe the last couple of years but really all I was doing is trying to focus on my breathing and getting lost in thought and like that was nearly the repetitive cycle whereas mm. I started a course there at the start of October um, it was so it's the waking up app from sam harris and he provides a 28 day guided meditation course where day by day incrementally you learn a little bit more you practice a little bit more and it's incredible even what 10 minutes of like focused learning and trying to do something like that how it just can improve your overall day And just bringing like awareness to emotions, awareness to when a thought, one thing that I like I've learned and I'd never thought of it before. So let's say if you're trying to meditate and a thought pops into your mind and then you go, 
oh geez that's a thought let's get back to meditation you don't realize that that's another thought like that judgment is another thought (laughs) there's always this weird thing that it like (laughs) you're nearly having this insane conversation with yourself all the time and like people look at people and they're like oh they're crazy because they're having that conversation out loud yeah whereas we're always having this conversation all the time inside in our head and it's just can you once in a while notice that the conversation is happening and that it's just occurring yeah like you've no control of these bizarre thoughts that are popping into your head so that's been beneficial for me um one thing that i'm a big believer in as well like when we talk about mental health you have to look at physical health as well so like the the mind and the body are not separate entities Mm. the mind and the body are connected and if your body isn't right it will affect your mind if your mind isn't right it will eventually affect your body like one of the things that helps me incredibly these days anyway is just uh early morning cardio just go for a quick run and i feel so relaxed Mm. after that and i try to do a little bit of journaling i try to do a little bit of gratitude but the first two things there have been far more of a benefit than anything else i've done yeah what would you do I, so I'm actually at the opposite at the minute. So I've kind of stopped a lot of, well, when I say like I would, I've stopped kind of a lot of physical activity and just really pairing it back. So I was kind of noticing um, just coming in with that kind of busyness a little bit. And so it's interesting. So over the last few, like I would have been the most like sea, people talking about sea swimming in Ireland. I was like, like I was so black and white about it. I was like, you're mental like this is I was like this it's filthy down there I was like mm. what are you but anyway so I've started doing it now I say started doing it I've done it twice and high tide is half one today and tomorrow so I'm pretty sure I'm gonna get a swim in this weekend nice which is mental the fact that I'm saying that because I could like I'd literally be like Craig often says if I don't like something my nostrils just flare I don't need to say anything and I'd be just like that face you know that resting face where you're like what are you doing that for <laughs> so for me in terms of like be, it's just slowing down for me so the kind of cardio stuff wouldn't work for me at the minute I tend to kind of like take a little I'm taking a break at the minute and just really coming into my body and seeing what it needs so I would have used I'm like I'm love sports and I've always gone when I was younger doing athletics and running and long jump and soccer and wow you just pretty much yeah loved like very very um sporty growing up and um but you know I suppose my ego probably hijacked that and you know when I wasn't the best I just quit everything you know, it wouldn't settle for a second. You couldn't be seen for that. So um, definitely had to look at my relationship with exercise. So for me, it's more so even the opposite. I really enjoy it, but it's like a case where like at the minute now, like the even just knowing, even knowing the sea is there and um, I'm looking for opportunities to do different things, going into the forest more up to Crewe Wood. Oh my God, like just incredible, like just love, like, you know, just taking your shoes off and your socks off and just getting your feet to actually touch the flipping ground. Like, like I don't even have real grass in my house. I've artificial grass in the back garden. So, you know, I need to need to make a bit of effort to kind of get that. So for me, a lot, definitely more journaling, Um, you know, 
there would have been a time where I would have intensely like I've kind of gone through a bit of the, like that an intensive kind of recovery process so I would have done a lot of that whereas now you know I'd always implement but now in the last few months I do much more of it so more journaling um meditation for me is more just even kind of just sitting and just observing things around me so I don't kind of tend to do too much of kind of like guided meditations I've been do you ever hear Muji no oh my god he's fab so he's so my friend put me onto him and he does I love his so I just think she was lying down for about 15 minutes just like the awareness I am the awareness I am and he's fabulous so if you would like meditation I recommend him he's a fabulous accent as well and he's so gentle where is he from oh god I don't know where he's from what type of accent it sounds a little Jamaican kind of so Just around, breed, man. Around, around that area, yeah, in the vicinity. Jamaica, West Indies. Yeah, somewhere. yeah. <laughs> Please don't take offence, but it's definitely <laughs> it's definitely not like around Limerick or anything like that. He's a bit more further afield, but um. So yeah, stuff like that, just really slowing down. And even stuff like this, do you know, like even mm. co- doing things that are different, even being like meeting people that nurture you, do you know, like genuinely, like even as soon as I came in here earlier on, I was like, only up in Kevin's would I be on this, what is it, immer- what's it called? Uh, an inversion table. Oh, I think no, you called it an immersion, immersion table t- before. That's more expensive. <laughs> Good oh, for the winter that's, nights. That's Irish conditioning, yeah. the immersion coming in there. Oh, good Lord. Um, I was like, only up here would I be doing that. And that's for me at the moment. This whole few months I made me realise how much of a box I put myself into and this kind of egocentric image I have of myself that it was like, I don't do that. And I'm too, mm. like, so doing things like, zip lining or you know challenging fear like for me that's massive and people were like can't imagine you doing that and it's amazing how you can teach people how to treat you that they can put you into that box so I just start kind of just practicing a little bit more spontaneity and going to the gallery I went to the gallery you know a couple I haven't been there in years I used to go when I was younger a lot and just sit and look at the paintings and like this stuff literally almost brings me to tears with that kind of you know when you're just so present you're like Oh my God, like, you know, and I think the moments are so important because obviously like there's challenging days as well. And it's being, though, I think having those experiences, it's so important to anchor them so you can make peace with the challenging days. You're like, that's okay that I feel sad today. That's okay. I feel overwhelmed. I know it gives you that sense of trusting what you're experiencing. So yeah, just like the gallery art, music, you know, playing music I play drums and just connecting with that so connection and talking to the neighbours so I'm to the people of Marina I'm sorry but I'll be going around waving and saying hello and just walking the dogs pure simplicity for me at the minute um you said some interesting things there like uh I like the idea of going into nature and taking off your shoes and socks because like it nearly gives you a little bit of a sense as well of how vulnerable you are when you're in this space alone like when we have shoes on and runners yeah. on you can run whatever distance our feet are so weak by themselves like do you ever try to run outside without your shoes like you'd instantly fall down like we're wearing these nearly casts all yeah. the time that yeah it gives you nearly a, an inflated sense of self of what you're capable of um the sea the sea swimming i'm fascinated by that so you go you swim in the irish sea yeah. And do you get... No, I've done it twice. I don't know, but like... But I'm on... I'm you're, you're, start, a, you're a swimmer now. I'm doing it now. Um, Do you get an incredible, like, buzz when you come out? Like, after the, after being in the cold? 
do you get like an incredible like nearly like you feel so alive after being in that cold water or what's it like for you oh when you're talking about coming out of the water i straight away just thought about being in the water Mm. and it was i was having a couple of i was having a challenge a couple of weeks just a couple of weeks ago and it just kind of seemed and for a lot of people at the minute i think it just feels like it's like one thing after the other there's a bit of a build up happening because your foundation's a bit rocked i think um and i was just in the war again going against my own conditioning when i'm in that water i'm like it's a two fingers to what my thinking tells me who i am and it's a liberation of like i'm not who i think i am and that's a wonderful thing i've love that so being in that water i know you've asked me about coming out of it but just to talk about coming out of it i suppose i want to talk about being in it mm. and just the connection the peace the community oh my god like so i just went down to dolly mount and you know you're just walking down the pier you walk to the statue this hidden little groove of fabulous tribal essence I walked into it and I was like, I don't even need to get, I thought I might maybe look a bit These weird. These are the sea I, swimmers, is oh, it? These are the sea swimmers. I will, I'm being, the I'm mermaids, getting, what do you call it? It's, inaugura- it's not an inauguration, that's for the present. But basically, these sea swimmers, all ages, everybody, the energy and the vibe I got from there, I was like, I feel like I'm home. I literally, wow. like I could be, I'd be getting, I'm, I'm be honest, I hold back the emotion talking about it and I was like, I don't know it didn't even just say hello to a couple of people but Jesus the unspoken sense of connection I was like you could never experience depression and when you're exposing yourself to those things and I think exactly what you said if you want to heal that emotional broken arm gotta keep looking at what we need to expose ourselves mm. to and it's not always easy and you have to embrace the fo- to take off your shoes and socks and stand on the ground you need to not be afraid of looking like an idiot and what human beings do while trying not to look stupid is bloody ridiculous yeah. and i am well experienced in that <laughs> <laughs> so it's laughable like i laugh at the stuff that i used to do trying not to look like an idiot and i think selling the true essence of vulnerability. I think vulnerability is spoken a lot about a lot. But again, like you mentioned earlier on, coming back to what it really is and what it feels like. And don't be afraid if you think you're going to actually, no, this is it. Like I am actually going to die of embarrassment here. It's like, yes, you're doing it. You're in there, you're getting stuck in. And the feeling when you come out, even for me just to walk into the, I used to walk into, that's not proper English, used into, but I used not, I didn't always walk into shops in town. There were certain shops in town I would never walk into because of the fear, the negative narcissism that I'd be fear and judged. So even to come walk into that bathing area down in Dolly Mount, it was a, it was a surrendering to like, yeah, I'm good enough. You know, I, I, I think there was sense or something for me personally, a sense of belonging is something I would have found really challenging for a longer, long time, but you can't access that sense of belonging without embracing vulnerability. So coming out of the ocean, then just sitting with that. I don't need any wine, any drugs, anything that is, that could ever even match that kind of feeling, that sense of pure peace a miss a kind of a, even while there's chaos going on around us and i think whatever is going on around you at the moment there are sanctuaries of that kind of tribal essence and it's just getting curious about where it is for you it's really interesting that you said as well 
nearly surrendering control. Mm. Like so many of us, we, we want to think of ourselves as nearly, oh, I'm an adventurous person or I like to try new things. But humans in general, like nearly they crave certainty and they move away from things that are uncertain or like that little bit of ambiguity about them. But it's so important to be able to nearly challenge who you think you are and move into that discomfort because that's where the growth is and like it's fascinating as well that you're talking about that sense of nearly community and belonging and tribalism in a positive sense that you found in that area like the trick with something like social media and the reason people find it such a a, nearly an irresistible thing to put time into is that in a way it gives us the two things that we do crave like it gives us this sense of belonging in a way and it also creates this nearly social approval so like you post a picture people like it you get a boost in self-esteem but both of those things are false feelings it's nearly like the equivalent of watching porn or having sex like there's it there's a clear difference between both of those things and social media is the watching porn version of actual human connection like you come away from it after an hour and just feel a little bit like i shouldn't have done that (laughs) i shouldn't have done that that wasn't that wasn't the best hour i could have spent Um, exactly like when you're talking there the word that comes to mind is intimacy Mm. that's what we're missing you know it's even like you can't talk about sex like so I've grown up with a a mother from Czechoslovakia so talking about sex is not like something that is taboo but it still fascinates me you know even through you know work or personal conversation but not so you know as I've kind of developed with kind of my circle of friends it's you know it's definitely you know that's that's comfortable but even that idea, you know, even to say the word porn or to say the word sex and that the difference there of even with social media is like we are not exposing ourselves to opportunities for intimacy. Now, obviously, we're neurologically wired to run mm. and we keep falling for that too much. I think that's so important to even like be promoting that more being like, yeah, you want to run. That's your opportunity to just get stuck in because you are going to hit the jackpot with that. And that's sometimes I often feel like I put myself into situations like that. And every time I show up for exposing myself or feeling vulnerable, I'm like, why the fuck did you do Jacqueline? Why are you doing this again? Like, have you not done it enough? And I, I think the reason I keep coming back to it is like you said, it's that it's that evolution. It's that development. It's that growth. It's, it's growing pains, really. But it's a, the difference between pain and suffering. So it can be really easily accessed through your phone and whatever, you know, missing the intimacy. But it's too much of a flash in the pan. It wears off. So you need to keep coming back for more, more, more. Whereas like. True, authentic bit of a buzzword these days but true authentic intimacy you don't need to keep going back for it for more reassurance to keep mm. you know it's it's i don't know if how what i'm trying to say but it's like you said there it's cheap mm. and it's cheap for a reason because the quality sucks yeah. Do you know so <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it's if it's if it's easy it's not going to be worth it mm. so you're looking for opportunities where you're like good god i want to quit now it's fascinating as well how like um we're culturally conditioned to see things in certain ways like 
I think I think Irish people are conditioned a lot by even the the presence or the historic presence of like the Catholic Church where mm. Catholic guilt is a big thing. Uh, maybe body shame is a thing that that crops up for Irish people, mm. but like in certain ways, they're they're cultural ideas that we've we've believed. Like, all right, here's here's a ridiculous story just to show <laughs> the difference of how a certain culture can be very comfortable yeah. with with the body and how the Irish culture might be like, what the fuck is this? So, um, myself, and my girlfriend, she's from Brazil. Uh the end of the last lockdown it was probably like the last week of the last lockdown lockdown 1.0 the great lockdown <laughs> uh, see you can't you can't call it you can't call it the first lockdown until we're locked down again yeah so in a, in a week or two we'll be able to call it lockdown one yeah. and then obviously the far better lockdown two world war two was just a the more sequel. interesting war exactly <laughs> it's the, like godfather two and world war two they're better sequels but um so at the end of the first lockdown or the great lockdown as i was calling it i was i was really really um nearly like mad to go hiking like i wanted to get out into yeah. proper nature i was i was sick of the five kilometers i was sick of just not being able to to practice freedom and go out and explore nature and so we went down to lugnaquilla it's just the spot that i really like hiking and we we hiked it beautiful day it was freezing like by the time we got to the top it was like minus 15 and at the top you can see for kilometers in every single distance and you were like wow this is incredible like we're the only people up here and like just as a spontaneous thing uh i was like all right we're never going to get this opportunity again let's take some naked photos so we took a few naked <laughs> photos at the top of the mountain listen to this listen to this so there was a bit of a buzz of that now it was it was minus 15 so it was cold i'll just say that okay we got back down to the car and like Lugnaquilla, that's about six hours hike. It's a it's a long day. It's I was exhausted and I was thinking like right, now we have to get back to Dublin. What like where are the checkpoints? What do I say? Because it was like the last week of lockdown, mm. and I had all this in my head and I was like exhausted driving back. And my girlfriend uh, was texting my mother and she sent her on a few pictures of the hike. And uh, I was this is also where I learned that uh, sarcasm is not something that you should apply. When your girlfriend is learning English. So she said to me, oh, will I send her one of the naked photos? And I just went, <laughs> yeah. And I was driving, just concentrating on like, where, where is the checkpoint now? How do I get home? I hired, do, do I have enough? Do I have enough fuel? Blah, blah, blah. In my head. Five minutes later, she turns to me and she said, Kevin, I don't think she liked that. I was like, liked what? <laughs> I, I looked and she had sent, <laughs> she had sent, and so imagine like my mother sitting at home eating her dinner bangers and sausages bangers and ranch and uh, she sees a nice few photos of her son hiking and then all of a sudden boom <laughs> full frontal nudity of her 31 year old son and i was like what i was like you sent that but there was no sense of the the shame yeah, yeah. that you'd feel. Of course I did. Exactly. Because I was like, would you have sent that to your mother? She was like, yeah. I was like, okay, well, that, that doesn't prove my point at all. So I was like, <laughs> I was feeling all this shame. And I was like, oh God, how am I going to talk to my mother? Or and She didn't talk to me for two or three days. And <laughs> imagine, imagine like the first relationship rule that I had to set down. I was like, all right, I, I'm open to most things. Please don't send my mother dick pics. 
please don't do that. And imagine as well, it's like minus 15 at the top of the, the mountain. Like, the last time, the last time she see that was when I was probably three or four. It was, it was that size. It, wa- it wasn't flattering. It was a weird, it was a weird one. So that was something that we had to navigate together, but it was a learning experience. And what I was able to do a couple of days later is appreciate the cultural context of there's extreme shame for me in this situation, but for a Brazilian, they don't seem to give a fuck. Your cultural conditioning failed you at that time. It did. And the cold at the top of the, it was a, it was a strange one because like you do something so spontaneous and you think, wow, what, what an experience. And then two hours shame. later, the one person you don't want, I think my mother the next day, she's like, I hope you don't put that up on uh, Facebook. <laughs> I was like, what? No, that's only for you, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> no. Send nudes. So that was your post-vulnerability hangover. That was, that was so three days. So you're pretty much. No, we're, we're, we're in a good place again, but uh, interesting learning experience. So what... <laughs> Roll on the lockdown, the greater lockdown, as you call it. What's going to happen from that? Who knows? Well, I don't know. We, we ha- I have to have like a, so- a, a nearly a, a WhatsApp manager now to see what goes to the mother. There's a there's a bureau of uh, propaganda, let's say, that, that's clear in every photo. Oh, God. But, Conditioned uh, freedom of speech there. It was just hilarious, though, oh, because God. like it was such a great day. But then like to have those feelings at the end of it, ah, it was ridiculous. But it's, all those things, they're just they're funny like do you know what I mean if you look at it if you look at it you could go oh my god that's that's something that I could carry around now for the rest of my life and think oh what a what a terrible thing to happen but if you look at it as just don't take yourself that seriously definitely it's like it's funny absolutely stop taking ourselves so seriously liberating Mm. I agree (laughs) I don't know if I go to the same extent as you with that (laughs) you mentioned there that you're a drummer like you're you're big into music is is that something this year that has dramatically changed like obviously you can't play live gigs anymore are you still practicing Mm. yeah so yeah interesting just even hearing like i'm a drummer that probably took me about 15 years to actually allow myself to say that i was like no i'm not it's like i'm not one of the sea swimmers (laughs) i'm not there yeah no I i had a bit of a funny relationship with it but um with the drums yeah, so I was in a band called The Statics for, I think it was nine years, not ten, nine years, and then came away from that, was it 2000? I'm with a new band at the moment, Fruits with a Z. They know I've asked them to change the name, but they won't agree. <laughs> um, what would you prefer it was called? Tough to name a band. Yeah, it is. We had the, a, the Smiths is one of my favorite names oh, just because it's just yeah. it just seems to capture the essence of what that They're band just is. They're so effortless, effortlessly cool. They can't do any wrong. The Smiths, but um, yeah, no, it has a change. Still practicing, yeah. So obviously, music for me has been a little bit complicated as most kind of relationships between sport and music and anything and stuff like that. Like something that I so I started when I was like about eleven, but never really felt good enough really at it so um I used to just always play on my own <laughs> which you know whatever um it gets a little bit boring after a while I never explored the possibility kind of playing with other people and stuff like that but yeah it's changed like we had a couple of, we had some really I'd, I'd probably one of the best gigs with the lads um 
just before Christmas, uh, we got a support act. We were supporting Louis Berry, and it was just, I was just one of my, I suppose I just felt so, it was just incredible. So, yeah, like we were due to kind of get a support or over in England and things like that, and things were just nicely kind of moving along. Um, so it's all, it's all stopped, but I suppose one thing for so long I wanted it as, you know, number one kind of job and things like that, but you know, as awful as it sounds, it just really shows me, like for me, I'm quite relieved that I've got, it's not my only kind of mm. thing to fall back on. Um, it's, it's, it's incredibly sad, you know, it's incredibly heartbreaking, even going to like one thing, playing gigs, but going to gigs and, and festivals and things like that, like my heart breaks for the whole, um, industry, but you know, I'm still, I'm still practicing. I'm still playing like, I often find if I don't play music for a while, I go a little funny. It's like, my, it's, it's like the soul kind of, it's like, hey, it's always fascinating. Sometimes I don't even realise the impact that has on me until I kind of stop doing it. Mm. Um, so yeah, I just, I suppose it, when I was with the Statics, it was, it was very, very kind of, very focused and quite serious, you know, loved, loved what we were creating, but not always how we were creating it. And uh, now with the lads, with, with Fruits and that, it's just, it's just loads of fun. I'm not really too attached to the outcomes. When I first started getting into bands, I was really attached to the outcomes, like mm. obsessive, really obsessive. Um, but now it's literally just doing it for the gras, like, and it's really working out really well. Like, you know, there's a few, the last tune we put out, Daydream, and that, it just, I just love, I love listening to it and I love playing it and... I just love having it took me a long time to realize to do some to do some I used to think hobbies were for hippies so to actually yeah it's 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 I don't feel for me personally like with not playing gigs it's more than not going to gigs yeah I've never wanted to have people sweating on me strangers and you know you'd long for a pint over your head at this stage <laughs> You know, you really would. You're, I'm craving it. I'm like, you know, one of my favorite gigs to play was uh, was down underground in the Thomas House, like, and there was just sweat coming off the walls, and it was packed, and it was, you know, and you're just like, God, I can't wait. To, I I really hope for the day that we can do that mm. again. And but I know a lot of people involved in the industry, and it's their soul. You know, again, people I would have compared myself to massively, and I think before I kind of, when I left the band, I wanted to do um, session drumming. So I um, I met up with, um, you know, drummers that were very successful and obviously getting recognition and not just recognition, but income. Um, but it really just exposed me to the idea of like that little, the, the artist and the sensitivity and the not good enough, how, how far it can follow you, mm. regardless of where you go with it, if you don't kind of look at it. So um, I just feel for a lot of people in the industry that um, the rug's just been taken from under them. And I don't think we, I think there's again another superficial awareness of the importance of arts. I think it's bullshit the way we approach it. I think the need to, the effort we put into saving banks and making sure corporations don't leave us and the effort we put into nurturing the arts, there is no comparison. And I think that's where you're missing that level of humanity and intimacy. And we will pay a huge price for it. I Absolutely. think we, we already are, you know. And, and, and this 
this whole experience is probably going to unfortunately steer some people away from the arts because they don't see it as a, a viable option to pursue what they want to do and to at least eke out an existence like they will probably pick the more certain routes like yeah. the things that your parents probably wanted you to do like study business or study accounting and get a steady job and get a good pension it's fascinating when I was listening to you there um when you were talking about like your early experiences with drumming and how you were nearly more focused on the extrinsic things that the the activity could possibly get you like yeah. the the recognition the social status the acclaim and it seems like through some sort of a process you've been able to move more to practicing it for the joy of it like an, an intrinsic thing like not worrying about what's going to come from it like yeah that's fascinating to hear and i'm curious to know like would you see or view practicing drumming now for you when you're on your own especially like as nearly a, a meditative thing that brings you into the present mm. and is there less of that judgmental voice yeah now 100 uh, percent. that's it's a spiritual practice for me now um, which if I heard someone say that 10 years or 15 years ago I'd be like you're a fruit loop like <laughs> I, I literally did not get it at all I always had a sense of I wanted to play drums I don't know I think people often ask you that like how do you how did you know do you know I, I just kept banging things and you know like but it's like I, I always kind I don't know it's, I, again it's just a sense but so yeah like to um what was your question again there just sorry but yes yeah, definitely a spiritual practice when you say spiritual what do you mean i mean it nurtures the soul and it connects you to Enhances the human spirit yeah i definitely think there's a sense of connected Lou. <laughs> this is gonna sound a bit like oh my god um but like what a judgment losing you say i know <laughs> i know <laughs> You know, that sense of like exploring the idea to like, you know, everyone wants to find themselves, but it's like allowing yourself to, you know, just lose yourself. That sense of self, that attachment to the I, the this, you're just, you're literally in it. You're in the music. Like it's just, there's no beginning and end to it. And I sometimes, yes, I do sometimes have an internal judgment of how flimsical and tree hugging that but I will work on that but that being honest that's what it is for me like I there was a time for me where I actually couldn't look at my drum kit I used to have it in my room and I couldn't look at it without feeling like I was failure or crap or you know and even now like okay I, I started working a little bit more and I kind of rented my own studio down in yellow door studios and went there myself and tried to teach myself different techniques and I wanted to go more into hip-hop drumming and, and soul and things like that and my instructor um, or my teacher Dennis Cassidy like he is just phenomenal and I just got felt a real sense that kind of R&B and soul music so I was kind of going along with that but I'd hear bands in the studios playing and I'd I was missing that sense of belonging then. So I think there's so much from it that like, even sometimes like with the music, I don't, it doesn't always have to be something that I'd listen to in my spare time to actually even feel connected with playing with, uh, playing it. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating thing. And I suppose even kind of coming back to the idea of like, you know, 
live gigs and nurturing the artist and supporting artists and having it as a a situation we keep having these conversations but i don't think people are really listening i think it still sounds like oh geez the poets are at it again you know they're looking Mm. for you know and it's kind of like the you talk about mental health and how much we are we're getting from coming together and just connecting through music like you're getting your your left side, your right side, the emotions, it's, it speaks for you mm. at times. It evokes things that you mightn't always have the awareness is there. So even kind of coming back to the idea, like, yeah, it's just a very powerful thing. Very, very powerful. Um, when you remove the judgment and you remove that ego side of oh, social status, good God. It's fascinating as well what you're saying about how in our society, in our culture, there is that nearly higher perception of value on the business world mm. and not nurturing that creative, artistic sense that people have within them. Like, it's so weird to me when, like, let's say if a child expresses an interest in something that, like, let's say it's just a passion for them. Like they like to paint or they like to create or they like to act or sing. It's so weird when somebody, when they're talking to that kid, they'll just be like, oh yeah. And like, can you get a job out of that? Cause it's like, it's such a weird question to ask about a creative pursuit, like something that you're doing it at the moment, just for the fun of it. Mm. And like, oh yeah, can you, can you like turn that into a monetary benefit? Like that puts that pressure on you then and you're not doing it for the the intrinsic Mm. joy of joy of it all you're doing it far more for the for the outcome and it's it's a weird fucked up thing where as well like if you if you meet somebody at a party i know we're not allowed to have house parties anymore they are the demon but like (laughs) if you meet somebody at a party in 2019 we'll say it's so weird that the first question is it's never like what are you interested in it's what do you do Mm. it's the it's such a bland that's Actually, that's when I feel that I'm in an adult situation, but I feel like a child. Yeah. When somebody asks me, what do I do? It's like, All right, what, what do I answer to that? Do I answer my job? Do I answer that I'd like to hang upside down occasionally? <laughs> like, what is it? What, yeah. what do you want to know? Yeah. Whereas like, what are you interested in is such a much more open question. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. It's a weird one. Yeah, definitely. Like, I really dislike that question. I I used to just lie to people. If I'd meet people out and they'd say, what do you do? I'd just say, i just make something up. Because I just didn't even want to go. I just didn't want the conversation going in that direction. Yeah. You know, I just kind of, for, for whatever reason, it's, it is. It's that like, the, the, the val- like, we're human beings, but the value of being a human doing is, is massive. Yeah. It's like, what's, what's your, yeah. we value economic output far more than things that nurture people. Like, even like, if you look at like social care, like yeah. social care is so down the, oh my the God, hierarchy the of importance or like, uh, like raising a family and choosing not to work again, because it doesn't deliver economic output. Like you're fucking raising humans. Yeah. You're, you're responsible for the next the next part of our our, yeah. our culture and people because because you're not earning people look at that as like oh well that's that's a waste that's a waste yeah. of time compared to other things where you could be just chasing the the euro yeah and looking down at the idea of like surely you could even get a part-time job somewhere there, like, <laughs> yeah you know come on thou sandra 
You could be a Come part-time on, minister and a part-time fucking creator and fucking make money maker. Like, let's let's, yeah. let's be serious. Like, it's um, it's, it's mad. There was something there that you'd mentioned. Oh God, when you were talking about um, the kind of the the the, the pecking order as well, mm. yeah, and like what we. There was something before that though you had mentioned, and it, it it struck something up for me, in terms of. What were you saying there? What was I talking about you hierarchy? Ta- hierarchies. Uh, oh, that kind of comes. Sorry, yeah, yeah, that kind of <clears throat> excuse me, reminding me of, um, the it's it's a meme that goes along. But are you still doing the music? Are you still doing oh, <laughs> that the way of phrasing. C- that. You have a little podcast going, Kevin, have you? Yeah. Ah, Jesus, fair play to you. That yeah. must have cost you a lot. You're still doing the music. that, And I suppose it's interesting when you talk about that childlike kind of sense and stuff like that. It's like the naivety to still be doing the music. Mm. And um, like even That's I know... such a good point. It's, it, it's, it's just, fa- you know, obviously, and then you get on the, the late, later. Oh, Jesus, fair play to you. Yeah. You know, I always knew you could do it. Oh, what? Yeah, Sorry? yeah, yeah. Sorry? Like this, this, this is brilliant. Right, you were my like, fucking motivational Tony Robbins in the corner. Are you still yeah. doing that fucking thing? Yeah, like, and it's like, oh, must, must get to one of your gigs. Must, Jesus, yeah. And then, like, when you're, <laughs> there's something on the, you know, whatever, it's interesting. But um, just the the unconscious judgment and uh, that's cute you yeah. know fair fair play to you for exposing yourself to being an Egypt like that with yeah, a dream yeah. do you know or yeah. doing something for the gras ah oh, god you can't pay your rent with the gras it's now so Kevin weird, isn't it? yeah it's it's just it's it's fun. and before like I'd be the difference now I suppose we're having that awareness and being more comfortable with like seeing it as an investment and in so much more for me whereas before with like when my ego would have been much much bigger I would have been rocking up to conversations ready to show you my CV of success and like you said there that's so we're doing this and we're doing that and well this is happening we're on the tent and this is the right and you're like oh wow like now obviously I'm like trying to make peace with that part where I'm like okay you didn't have to do that um but also the word pressure, like you said, being aware of the external pressure that like, yeah, like God forbid someone's like, geez, what are you doing a podcast for? What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. It's you're not, and you're getting paid. For yeah. Do, do you have a sponsor yet? Yeah. Or like fucking. Yeah. I, I have the equivalent of a listenership as a maniac shouting on the street. They have quite a following. <laughs> have you been on O'Connell Street recently? I don't know what Limerick's like, Kevin, but I tell you, town's popping. That's, forget about this. We should unplug this and just get into get town. Get two boxes. Rock up on Talbot Street. Defo Talbot Street, actually. Very prime. Prime location. Oh. They, they might, yeah. So, there's an idea. <laughs> so, <laughs> getting distracted with that now. But yeah, it's it's just, again, fascinating. I think just allowing ourselves to just... I don't think we often allow ourselves to stop and reflect of kind of the way that we kind of go on a bit sometimes. And I think just being really forgiven of that. Like, I'm not saying, like, people don't even... Rea- that's what I'm saying. People don't even realise what they're saying do, mm. do you know like people don't actually i don't have the awareness of what can be and like you said earlier on like i don't think when we were talking here but just earlier before we came on this like the idea of like perspective that like people are just so unaware of their own kind of conditioning and their preconceived judgments and i think that's what really kind of 
Yeah, it's 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 just fascinating. As I said, the, the arts are cute. It's important to understand, I suppose, both sides of it as well, because like, let's say if a parent maybe advises against a certain pursuit, they're doing it from a place of love and worry. Like, it's like they want you to be safe. It's not that they don't want you to have a fulfilled life. It's just they want it it comes from nearly maybe a place of worry and I, I don't think you can appreciate that until you have kids i don't think that you can love and worry at the same time hmm. so i think in life you're going to make a choice out of love or fear and i think the sentence you're saying there that they want they want and hmm. i see it a lot where people are often trying to convince you they're justifying their fears and worry but it's very unhelpful. If my parent or if somebody is worried about me, they're insulting me. And I think that's what's really important in terms of like, especially in Ireland as well, the value on worry and what you're seen to be if you don't. Yeah. So I think, I definitely think what we, I think a lot of the time in our kind of cultural kind of conditioning as well is that like, if you don't worry as a parent, you're not really caring. I think we get mixed up with the boundaries of love, love and fear and the knock on effect that has that you can actually end up taking on your, you know, fears from the external and take them as your own. And you build up these belief systems. Well, if what if I, you know, if I don't do this, then what will happen? So it's ultimately just fear. And it fascinates me, the justification that we, and like you said, like, well, when you're a parent, you'll realize it's like, when you're a parent, you're going to be exactly like me and you'll parent exactly like me and you'll have the same fears as me. So you're like, okay, I will. Have you ever heard that, that saying, I think it's from Jim Carrey. It's like people often disguise their fears as practicalities. Like you make choices in life because that's the safe option that's the the road of certainty i i'm a sensible person i i will do what society wants me to do but if you kind of like just scratch the surface even of your own choices in certain situations like there's a fear there that you're not ready to look at or examine or at least just sit with it and think why why is this with me at the moment like what am i feeling well, that's what I do for a living is scratching the surface. And I suppose it's exactly that. It is a concealed fear. And when you scratch the surface, the condition, you know, I would refer to condition thinking as the condition really or the ego or whatever way people kind of put the word on it. But it comes out with claws if you try to get in there and get rid of it or call it out. Do you know, like, so this practicality bullshit, do you know, like, practical for what for who for mm. you know well okay weigh it up against your levels of contentment you know and we justify what we have to do and what we should do and what we need to do because to stop and look at so i mean obviously as i said i've done a lot of stopping and looking and i continue to stop and look and reflect and i'm very aware that i'm fabulously flawed and i'll continue to be so perfectly imperfect <laughs> Fabulously flawed. I, I like to visualize a feather boa, right, with, around my neck when I say that. Just yes. to give context, uh, so in your professional life, you deal with people who have eating distress and you aid them in their recovery, eventual freedom, and you do this through probably a blended form of coaching and therapy? Or? Yeah. 
Would yeah, that be a good go. way to summarise it? I must get you to put that in writing and put it on the website. <laughs> <laughs> I love that term, blended. Uh, yeah, so, you know, in terms of with, with work and in the Merino Therapy Centre, so my um, my mum actually founded the centre 30 years ago. So it's a, it's a family business that... Um, that we have there and there's another practitioner Andrea that works with us and, and my dad is involved in the, in work as well and absolutely people with eating distress and all different kind of behaviours of self-harm and emotional distress so it's um it is I suppose the job is all about kind of scratching the surface of you know I mean very little is what it seems you know mm. from my own personal experience or professional experience and I think it's allowing ourselves to get curious about those things about those things as opposed to critical do you know so um yeah so it's it's the fears are are fascinating you know it's definitely quite a it, it is it's it's a fascinating position to be in when you're kind of just questioning fears your own fears other people's fears it's yeah, it's a, it's a privileged place to be working. Would uh would you be comfortable like sharing a little bit of your own experience with yeah. eating distress? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, everybody that works in the center is fully recovered, so it's not just professional experience, it's personal because eating distress so most people would refer to it as eating disorder, so that would be the label that's in the psychiatric manual and the DSM or whatever. Yeah, the D- I know, DSM I don't know if it's 7 we're on now at this stage. Yeah, you, you get that upgraded yeah, everyone, yeah. you know. Get more syndromes in there, guys. <laughs> gotta keep those prescriptions coming <laughs> the world doesn't have enough labels no give me more <laughs> grieving syndrome okay wonderful yes so um yeah that's a whole difference so the so the term eating disorder so like we would refer to it as eating distress it's the distress that's eating you and it manifests itself in you know behaviors with the body and food and for myself personally i mean my own personal experience my earliest memory of having that sense of discomfort and claustrophobia and just severe it probably looked like hate but i suppose it was just so much discomfort with the body ultimately just myself so i would have been about like five six seven around that kind of age for my own kind of personal memories but my mom would have she said like when i was around one or so she just she was she's fully recovered as well and um she just knew there was like this super sensitivity about me and she kind of got us and even there was a couple of like abnormalities just around the nutrition and even just feed and it, it goes further than just fussy eating do you know there was this, the distress that was with, within me like I just constantly was worried and stressed and had headaches you know as a child you know at a very sp- young age yeah so yeah. would you look at that as like it's a it's a nature thing and not a nurture thing or because your mother had experienced it do you think again it's kind of it's somewhere in the middle yeah so I think we still don't know enough yeah. about eating distress and I suppose the nature the way that I would work is I always kind of start like I always think like why is like digging at the roots of a plant so it's not it helps the researcher sometimes in theory but doesn't always help the person so in terms of asking why I kind of when we when you have self-harm and behaviors it's a time to be asking well what can we do about it you're looking at that idea of going forward as opposed to going back and I'd never encourage people especially in 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 a lot of kind of psychology and psychiatry and stuff you know things like that there can be a lot of emphasis on going backwards and looking when you're experiencing self-harm and behaviors going back and things like that can bring up a lot of discomfort so you're going to have more self-harm and behaviors because they're your coping mechanism from my personal experience they still don't have a chromosome for you know mental health or anything like that 
I definitely think I think it's a I think super sensitivity is I'm everybody's very different with eating distress but everybody's hypersensitive they have this kind of they're like a satellite the ability to kind of pick up on things and perceive things on a much deeper level but when I it's kind of often matched so things can kind of get in like even even things like like for me personally I found it very challenging to sit in history class it was too overwhelming for me to sit it was really interesting as well even listening about um you know, the different wars and World War Two and the invasions of Czechoslovakia and things like that. Now, obviously, like when I'm in first, second year history class and I don't I wouldn't have thought I would have been so massively connected to, you know, what the Czech Republic as it is now. But my heart just I even now I feel very um kind of sometimes sick and emotionally charged thinking of it. So that was always really interesting to that sense of even connection and belonging. Like I never, I didn't grow up in the Czech Republic or, you know, I would have visited regularly, but there was still such, there was almost more connection and feeling for the Czech history um, when I was learning about it than there was even about Irish history. But I do also think it's about the way that Irish history is taught as well. Can I ask, sorry to interrupt, but nope. have you heard of the idea of genetic memory? It sounds familiar. So like um, the idea of genetic memory is that like if you look at a, a normal human, you grow up, you have life experiences and because you, because you have these experiences, you have your own memories. Genetic memory is the idea that memories are somehow passed down through your genes. And I don't know where like the, the general scientific consensus mm. sits in terms of whether it's bullshit or whether it's there's some like realism to it mm. but like there's one cool experiment that they've done with rats where you have a cage you have two cages of rats and the let's say you have a cage on the left and you have a cage on the right the cage on the left has an electronic panel on the floor so that the the researcher has the capability to send an electric shock into the cage mm. and what they do in the experiment is they spray a bit of lemon zest into the air for both sets of rats. Mm. And at the same time that they spray the, the zest, the lemon zest in the air for the, the rats in the left hand side of the cage or the left cage, they experience an electric shock as well at the same time. So they associate the smell of lemon zest mm. with uh, the electric shock. Mm. Okay. The rats in the, the right cage they smell the lemon zest but they've never experienced the shock so you'd imagine and quite rightly what happens is if you spray lemon zest into the the rats on, in the left cage mm. they will freak out a little mm. bit which you'd expect because they have some sort of memory um if you leave both sets of rats have kids so another generation has been born mm. none of these rats experienced the the electric shock mm. if you expose so let's say then what you do is you put both sets of rats uh descendants into mm. the same cage if you spray lemon zest half of the rats will freak out even though they've never experienced an electric shock themselves mm. but their 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 bloodline has yeah so somewhere in the 
in their genetics something has been passed down where they should be fe- they should be fearful of this thing mm. and like some people think the reason that like innately humans are afraid of heights like nearly everybody is born with a, a fear of heights apparently and the reason is if you look at our primitive primitive ancestors so many of them fell from trees mm. so you had to realize that there is something very dangerous about being exposed at a height yeah um sorry for interrupting you there but no. like that's, that's the idea of genetic yeah. memory so when you talk about how you have this maybe unexplainable connection to a place that you've never been mm. your ancestors were there yeah yeah, I, I mean, I'm definitely open to all of those things. And the only way, and I, I, one thing I think is when you're looking at stuff like that, I think it's so important to kind of be open and curious as opposed to looking for something for a reason. And I suppose the difference with, when you match theories like that with a conditioned style thinking that's kind of like, there's something wrong with me because of this, or I think you, it's really important. And I am definitely very open to all those things because, yeah, there's a lot of things where... You know, even sometimes hearing the Czech language has much more of an emotional connection for me than hearing Irish, you know, and it's I don't have any explanations for that at the moment. But even that that kind of super sensitive and I suppose what you're kind of coming back to, even the idea of like nature and nurture, I think there's so much involved in it. But the main thing I see is just that super sensitivity. And also, I do believe I don't believe anybody can cause anybody to have an eating distress. Um but I do believe now what I'm seeing more and more over the years is that like it's so important to heal our what would you say? obviously the term generational trauma can go around a lot and I'm I'm not a massive fan of that term, but let's say for example, before I go into, you know, and hopefully go into parenthood, it's very important for me to really acknowledge my fears and my own conditioning. Mm. Because I see, not that people are causing it, but it's a very fertile ground for self-judgment. You know, the environments you're putting yourself into, I think it's very important, whether it's family, work, social, anything like that. It's that we're speaking a language that's nurturing us, Mm. you know, and I think so with everything I mean my mom obviously knew how to recover and how to you know and teach me how to recover and everything like that and she owned a center for people who were recovering and I was still at home you know experiencing what I was experiencing um so yeah I mean I, I don't really have the answers to that I just suppose the main thing like I definitely do acknowledge the importance of just even all of us to really just for the greater good really for the sense of humanity which i think is really coming out more now now like how important it is as we've spoken about earlier on about humanity like how what can i like taking that sense of responsibility and instead of talking about society all the time what am i doing for society like what am i what could i actually bring you know even to the community what could i bring to the family what could i bring to my relationships instead of always kind of like well it's not get out of life exactly do you know obviously you know kennedy said you know whatever what did he not whatever but he said it's like you know don't shoot me don't, uh, 
moving swiftly. <laughs> um, Could this motorcade not drive a little bit faster? Yeah, don't, don't ask what you can do for your country, but what your country can do for you. And I'm not taking that as pure, like, whatever. Just to, Not so much to take what he was saying and what he was talking about, but that sense of finding that balance. And I suppose that's a little bit challenging at the moment where we're starting to get a little bit resentful. I'm like, sure, why would I bother doing that? She haven't done anything for me. Um, I've kind of gone off topic there with the question that you'd asked me in terms of my own experience. Well, it's kind of as well. What you said there at the end, it makes a lot of sense in the context of the, the pandemic. So at the start of the pandemic, there was nearly this sense of unity from everybody staying apart. Mm. But with this second impending lockdown, there's a little bit more frustration in the air where people are like, well, fucking, if this 1% of the population is still having house parties, why the fuck should I care about who I'm spreading it to? Yep. And everybody knows as well that we're facing into the, the winter at the moment. So that spell of beautiful weather is not going to be here for the second lockdown. And there's this nearly sense of like, uh, we pulled together at the start, but even the fact that fines are now going to be imposed mm. for for breaking the rules, that there's a sense of people aren't as much together anymore. People are nearly going back to that selfish state of mind where it's like, well, what is this giving me rather than what can I do with my um, behaviors and activities? How can I help the greater good? Yeah. And it's fascinating as well that it's one of those things you only nearly learn through experience, like, like gathering uh, material goods and trying to just go after like, financial wealth those things don't necessarily bring happiness it's mm. culture and society that tell us that this is what you should do but like doing things for other people is where you get that sense of like real happiness yeah like i don't know if i believe in the like true altruism because you know for me personally and even kind of when i was recovering a huge thing um was the acts of random kindness. There was two guys up in Donegal and they set it up. And now, unfortunately, they actually, they sold it to somebody. They got really, they basically, they sold it to somebody. They built up something and they just kind of annihilated it, whoever they, I don't know all the details, but these two guys, they were doing um, um acts of random kindness. And that whole idea, so it's like little things of like, you know, paying a forward. So like paying for a coffee and kind of like, given you know the next person that comes and just putting something in the vending machine and leaving it there and and being honest I was probably doing it more for myself than anybody else like and I think that's that real sense of like I always get curious about the idea of like altruism it's like mm. you know see there there's probably no like full like selfless act yeah but the reason that the those acts feel good is that they're pro-social behaviors yeah. and that doing them brings you closer to your community yeah like that's the reason that it's it's a it's a like an evolutionary thing like selfish behavior in a tribe of 30 people like the person who was taking more and not pulling their weight they were not a member of the tribe in a yeah. week I think the word that you said there kind of hits the nail on the head is disconnection and, and, and so pro-social behaviour and anti-social behaviour. So even if you're talking personally, like your own self-harming behaviours towards yourself or harming behaviours towards society, it's I think it's always coming from that sense of disconnect. Like ultimately, mm. we're all neurologically wired for a connection. We're, because connection often has given us that sense of security and safety but then we end up, we go out and we were just buying loads of toilet roll. Mm. 
because mm. we have lots of different ways of kind of going how can I make sure that I'm safe and I'm secure and I think that pro-social behaviour can only really happen with a sense of feeling connected to yourself so you can feel connected to your community and I think these things you talk about the pecking order like when you think about community centres they're often down the end yeah they're, they're the last they're maligned areas they're not where we are feeding and I think and I I have hope for the future that we are really moving in a shift of consciousness where it will be the people on the front line it will be the social workers the carers the community centres those that are in that caring profession where they are nurturing the community they're all volunteers because they have to be volunteers a lot of the time and I do feel and believe we are learning there is a group there is a collective that is valuing that and nurturing that and looking to the 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 importance of your small medium businesses to keep our economy like David McWilliams I absolutely adore him and like just and he has been consistently talking consistently for decades talking about the importance of that kind of smaller scale economy where you are and I think now even for Christmas keep it small keep it local keep it regular and obviously it's trying to but again people are like well I'm not going down to me local fruit and veg because I mean they charge me a fortune down there do you know and because we don't even know where it comes from or how much it co- you know so yeah definitely I think to pull together like that it's looking for the opportunities to do it on a micro scale mm. so you have that intrinsic motivation to connect but then I suppose you have another side of it where it, as a result of the information age we we've kind of like I think one thing about they're talking about the train is kind of going and we can't catch a kind of thing when they're talking about COVID but I think that's a huge thing with information at the moment as well and people taking it upon themselves and having a lot of different opinions and when you match that with resentment I definitely think there's a challenge on our hands but I definitely think change is happening I just had a little thought to myself there as like am I just talking shite I was like I really want to stop and actually listen to this and like take some accountability that I practice these things my worst sometimes not my worst fear it's a bit dramatic but I was kind of thinking like are you walking the talk no I hope yeah. I am and I feel like I am but I really just kind of want to keep check with that I suppose when you're talking about earlier on about even like mental health just when you went out there I was kind of thinking be accountable like the stuff you're saying you yeah. know is it just lip service or is it yeah. virtue signaling yeah or like yeah like it's it's kind of like the idea of when i leave the house do i tell people to shop local and then i hop on amazon prime and order yeah. 40 things to the house and it's yeah. like you can say one th- thing in public and do something completely yeah. different at home yeah i suppose i think you know in term because being honest sometimes i do think my local fruit and veg shop i'm like jesus that's that's a lot for peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> that is very expensive peanut butter. Um, and I think it's definitely about not looking for that kind of ideal and the pressure, the word that you mentioned earlier on, and just like looking for those opportunities where you can just kind of dip in and kind of make quite a big impact by regular, simple practices, you know, because... There is a reality there, like, where did I do? I think I did my shopping locally the other day, and I was thinking, that's an expensive dinner. Like that's, I, I was like, that's quite a lot just to be making fajita Fridays. <laughs> do you know, and I'll be honest, so it's like, 
I'm not saying go and buy blah 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 and like and I'm not talking about that I'm talking more about the act of like just do what you can mm-hmm. and if you feel like you you can't is there any other way that you can do you know because there is obviously a reality there where like you know our whole system is kind of built on money bring back the barter system please god <laughs> That means you have to carry around loads of sheep with you in exchange for fish. No, I'll just give them poetry, Kevin. Uh, I'll write, I'll start, right. I'm not a poet, but I'll start, I'll just start handing them out uh, podcasts. <laughs> it's very interesting that like, there seems to be a team running through this conversation about community mm. connection, the importance of like, just being even a small net positive to the people around you and not excess taking away from it mm. and therefore destroying the community. Um, I'm really conscious of time, but I just wanted to jump back to one thing we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, for people that do experience an eating distress, like the road to recovery, while we all want to think that the answers are like outside, is it much more of an, an internal thing? And like, like, how does that work? Or could you kind of talk us generally through what that might look like? Like recovery is ultimately just discovering yourself. And even the word recovery for me, I kind of send, I feel like it's a bit, a bit Hollywood rehab this, at this stage. It's, it, I think it's a word that gets thrown, it's gets thrown around quite a lot. So I would refer to it as like a freedom journey. So recovery from eating distress is ultimately just learning about who you actually are. Then ultimately not becoming too attached to it. Right? It's level five. <laughs> um, learning about who you are owning who you are and yeah just ultimately like what your values are so the like the answers are within all the time the only role that I play is it is a blended mix as you said earlier on with mentoring and coaching because Mm. of the level of you know I mean it's the highest mortality rate of all psychiatric illnesses so when somebody's coming in with very severe self-harm coaching is not enough um at that time from my experience so it is a case of you know a kind of a a multidisciplinary model of you know taking it all different ways so it is it's ultimately like learning about your thinking your relationship with your thinking if you want to melt your destructive behaviors the behaviors are there understanding that you want to numb out because obviously we're neurologically wired to run from discomfort some of us do that in very creative ways based on a lot of conditioned thinking on a subconscious level as a result of super sensitivity not good enough syndrome like some people could have that not good enough syndrome and behaviors might manifest until they're maybe 40 50 years of age you know some people have it from the very beginning um you know eating distress can often start with kind of face picking hair pulling you know even just little things like that they're, they're all those little behaviors where you're you're ultimately want to numb out so if you want to melt your behaviors it's ultimately looking at the thinking. You don't start looking at the feelings. People are, that's where TV often gets it wrong, where you're asking people how they feel. Like when you're mm. practicing a self-harming behavior, you're looking at the thinking, you're looking at the language. You know, it would be, you know, Marie Campion, had, um, you know, the model that she, you know, created and works by is the psycholinguistic motivational model, which ultimately is just watch your lingo learn about language learn about the power words very Probably kind things of sp- like uh should need can't, yeah yeah can't have to i wish if only so you're like i always kind of say if it makes you feel heavy it belongs to the condition if it makes you feel light so it's very much so like a regime and a hitler in your head so it's it is about kind of 
separating if you want to take down a regime you have to be honest with yourself and kind of say there's a regime here now that takes people don't want to look at that we are in a society today where people do not always want to look at the hierarchy and the levels of regimes because then you're gonna that's just annoying hassle right mm-hmm. but it's it's a precursor for liberation do you know if you reframe it it's you're like yeah fab like it's a totally re- regime in my head then you need to educate the people so you start asking questions dictatorships do not like asking i never liked i would if this was 15 10 years ago i would never come in here because i was like no one asked me questions because you might find something out what's a podcast yeah <laughs> what's an immersion <laughs> in whatever the thing where you hang upside down um you know when you are like when there's ego and conditioning involved like you don't want to ask questions so you're teaching the person to actually kind of and give them that kind of support and kind of encouraging that sense of safety with asking questions you know and if something does kind of you get a bit of backlash for asking questions that just gives you information so really recovery and melt and people often talk about relapses and stuff like that I'm fluent in destructive language fluent in destructive behaviors I know how to do them where to do them how to potentially get away with doing them. You know, people only in my inner circle would have known what I was experiencing. Um, but you have no value in it anymore because mm. you value something else. So when you value something more, it's not about always like, stop valuing that, Kevin. Stop valuing money so much. It's like, well, what am I not valuing at the moment? And how could I give myself? Because there's a fear not to value. If I don't value money, if I don't value my size, if I don't value my athletic ability, sure I might lose the run of myself. Mm. I lose, you know, because there's not a lot of trust there. So it's very, recovery is very simple, but the fears will try and complicate it. But it's fabulous. And I mean... It's a privilege to work in that area, like to to be able to be so exposed to vulnerability and humanity on a daily basis. It's just, I think it's probably more beneficial for me than anybody I even work with. Can I ask, um, you mentioned like two behaviours that might be telltale signs mm. of an eating distress, like face picking or hair pulling. Are, are they kind of behaviours similar to maybe like incessantly biting your nails mm. where in a particular situation you feel out of control so you want to get some sort of control back is that kind of like the mechanism that's happening absolutely like and I again coming back to that idea where control is often spoken about I think it's really important to allow ourselves go deeper than that idea of control is like I'm not most of the time it's like we're not trusting ourselves in the situation we're not trusting our cape you'll often hear like I can't cope you know, which is ultimately mm. like underneath uh, Susan Jeffers is saying that like underneath most fears is that sense that I can't handle it. So, I mean, yeah, like I mean, the nail biting like that from like nothing there, you know, and then even you get the things where, as you can see now, fully recovered, Kevin, <laughs> painted nails. Um, but, it, you know, even people kind of go, oh, just put that on top. It always makes me laugh where people try and deal with the, I suppose coming back to nail biting, they try to deal with it on a kind of topical kind of level. It's like, just put a cream on it. Yeah. It's like when you're driving your car and the engine light is going, like like my service light at the minute. Um, <laughs> so there's a theme here. It's like, just like knock off the light and it'll be sorted. Sure, when I was getting those nail biting things, you try to change the behavior. You just become immune to it. Mm. I was like, you know, so it's not about changing the behavior. It's about, because we get very focused, especially with eating distress, kind of if you've got like, you know, you know, fear of changes in your body, obsession with muscle mass, obsession with health foods, obsessions with exercise, things like that. 
get curious about yeah, it's it. nearly get away from focusing on one specific symptom yeah. and look at what are the causes and how can you like move towards a path of recovery in anything like it could be eating distress it could be as you said like addictive behaviors in any sense of the word and jackie you you also have a podcast but could you tell us a little bit about that before you go that's a plug and i'll welcome it <laughs> <laughs> yes i do i have my own podcast which sounds weird um the first thing actually that came to mind when someone recommended maybe starting a podcast is like i don't want to be another podcast i put a root like rude i had so much judgment about the, even the idea of a podcast another person but a story to tell um <laughs> so no it's not about me and my story it's called calling it out and um it's very much so just kind of talks you through lots of different topics So the first series is 10 episodes there looking at things like shame awareness acceptance learning about your emotions how to actually kind of be respond to them more helpfully and the second series is actually start. It's coming out this Monday. Fantastic. So that sounds weird. Um, but yeah, I it's fabulous. And the power, I suppose, I really just I never thought the, the, the feedback or the message. It's very overwhelming. Like and, and, and even outside of Ireland, you're like, what? You know, so yes, the internet can be such a fickle and feeble place, but oh my God, it has, I've experienced a lot of authentic connection through it and people really responding with their own vulnerabilities as a result of it, which, so I think, you know, the internet, it's kind of like, it's, it's like a knife, you know, you could butter your bread with it or you could, you could do some harm with it. Absolutely. So yeah, so calm it out. So if it's something it's looking at eating distress, emotional distress and just, how to free yourself from it if that's something that you're interested in and if anybody after hearing this is curious that maybe they do have some sort of eating distress or emotional distress that they want to maybe get a little bit more curious about it's the merino therapy clinic yeah so merino therapy center so it's either you can on instagram at merino tc or merino therapy center.com we have actually, we used to do group sessions twice a week, but our Zoom sessions now, we do group sessions Tuesday evening and Saturday morning. And it's actually fascinating where even again, people outside of Ireland are able to come to the group sessions or people that would have had fears to attend a group session. But Zoom has actually proved to encourage a lot of people to get involved with attending sessions. You probably sessions. need to do less. So it's like the barrier to entry yeah. mentally is like, ah, uh, if I, if I don't like it, I can pretend that I have a bad connection and log off. Totally. Like you don't have to put your, your, your screen on, although I really encourage people to do that and it can take time. But, you know, you don't have to share. You can sit, you can listen. It's, it, it is. It takes away. It takes away a barrier. So mm. the obstacle actually does provide us with a huge opportunity. And that's blown me away as well between what we can do with the technology at the moment is, is, is potentially life saving at times, you know, so, um, so yeah, Merino Therapy Centre at Merino TC and Calling It Out is the podcast. Jackie, thank you so much for your time today and after a long year, it's fantastic to see you. I'll see you next year. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Peace.